Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. We present the very best panels, seminars, and other recordings pertaining to role-playing game design and publishing. This has been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Now to the show. Episode 64, Dramatic Editing, Creating the Editing Bay. Recorded at Metatopia 2014. Presented by Will Heinmarch. Uh, this is editing play, which is not the same as editing play. This is uh, play in which uh, uh, editing takes place, and we're going to use a couple of different definitions of editing, and I'll explain some of this, but I just want to start off by saying we have one of gaming's famed editors, famed star editors in the house, and you're going to be disappointed because that's not that kind of editing. No, I'm not like I know, I'm just saying. You're going to be disappointed in me. Um... So, because for a long time I worked uh, for a company called White Wolf, uh, I opened with a quote. Oh, there are so many lives. How we wish we could live them concurrently instead of one by one by one. We could select the best pieces of each, stringing them together like a strand of pearls. But that's not how it works. A human's life is a beautiful mess. Fortunately, we're lucky because this is actually how RPG play works. We can go ahead and uh, uh, string together the best moments and skip the boring stuff. This mic worked for Ken. We'll see if it works for me. Uh, so suppose, if you will, that we are going to trust a definition for uh, uh, RPGs versus story games that works kind of like this. A role-playing game is that thing where you control a character, decisions for that character, and then as that character interacts with the universe, a story may emerge. Maybe it doesn't. It might be uh, uh, just a simulation. It might be narrative. It might not be narrative. But the player controls that one character. And a story game is that thing where you get to act on a narrative that includes the characters, usually in a collaborative way, to build up and influence the flow of a story through play, sometimes using knowledge or resources that your character can. Whether that's a hero point, whether that's the fact that I am compelling a character, but my or somebody else's character, but my character is not. Uh, whether it is literal or figurative, this, this is kind of part of the crux that we're going to get into, is when we are cheating and how we can design for a style of play that is... Uh, uh, meaningfully allows dramatic editing at the table. Um, one of the things that's important to note, I think, is that uh, even if you play a game where the players are playing an RPG and they're not allowed information that their characters don't have, or they're not allowed to make decisions that their characters wouldn't make, well, how do you justify that? How do you argue? Who knows what decisions a character would make? We'll get into that. Um, uh, GMs are usually playing story games, uh, even when the players are playing an RPG, because they get to do things like define the environment, and uh, uh, decide what monsters are present, and decide what magic items are going to be around. And those things are contributing to the story, and they are uh, 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 affecting story play by saying, well, the following magic items are not allowed in my campaign until I introduce one. Or this artifact doesn't exist until I reveal that it does, or what have you. So what you have is this uh, offer that the GM gets to affect the, the flow of the story by, by prescribing or allowing ingredients. Uh, players, I think, should be allowed to do similarly, depending on the scope of the game, uh, uh, by developing and participating not just as players and not just as audience, but uh, by sharing narration in some categories. And there's lots of ways to do that. So one of the first things, though, of course, is, is to, to, to categorize what dramatic editing is. You know what I'm talking about, which is 
is it the subject of a game? Do I literally mean a game where you're playing film editors or the players are uh, 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 manipulating a, a simulation of TV production or film production? That is not what I mean. Uh, is it um, require an artifact to handle where you can literally move pieces around? It can, but it doesn't require that. Microscope, uh, for example, is a game that allows you to do that, but it doesn't actually require you to move pieces around as the story progresses. You could just go left to right if you wanted to. Um, and as an artifact, but it doesn't require that uh, uh, to be dramatic editing, even though it can have that kind of a thing. So what the hell do I mean? Well, first of all, how many of you have ever saw or played a game called Adventure from White Wolf back in the day? Adventure has a power of dramatic editing. That is not what I mean. Dramatic editing in White Wolf uh, uh, in the Adventure game meant um, that if your character recovered enough health or inspiration after resting for two days, you would then gain a magic point that allowed you to negotiate with the GM about what cool things might maybe should happen in the game. That is a, a muddied, uh, primitive attempt at getting dramatic editing to work, and I see where it was headed, but it, 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 it crosses a lot of wires, I think, that don't make for great design for dramatic editing, because the question is, why is my player getting bed rest in a game, making me better in a game called Adventure? Why is my character be getting a, a good night's sleep? In what entitles me to negotiate for cool things to happen at the table, to, for cool things to happen in gameplay? Uh, so it's the power of provision in a medium that is knowingly narrative, yet lacking in some of the key language customs and practices for tapping into that power. Because we're going to assume that we really are playing a game uh, in, a, in a narrative medium, in a, in a pastime that has this narrative potential. We're going to have to talk about the techniques that we use, the formats, and the way that, that we organize and format and present this information. Uh, but we don't necessarily know exactly the way to do that. We don't have all the tools yet to talk about it the way that we want to talk about it. So. Uh, uh, to facilitate communication and collaboration in a way that enhances character excellence and player participation, we must talk about it. And to talk about it, we need some terms. Uh, and so to expand the notion of what play is and how we are doing it and when we are doing it fairly, uh, we're going to need to steal those terms from other places. I'm going to steal the terms dramatic and editing. Uh, uh, and when I say editing, I'm, I'm going to use also the metaphor of the mixing board um, and a mixing board, if you've ever worked one, I actually uh, ruined one once at a community college by spilling coke on it. <laughs> and if you go to that, I know community college, so community theater, and if you go there now, and I say, oh yeah, I used to work uh, in, the, in the sign and light board and the lighting design and stuff like that, they go, cool. Are you the guy who spilled coke on it? Yeah, that's me. Really? <laughs> oh man, they still, they teach that. You're not supposed to do that. We can't even have coke in the, in the light board anymore in the room. I'm like, yeah, that's because of me. Um, but so get, the mixing board right, gives you dials and sliders and buttons that you can use and push and activate to decide not just what is going to be seen or heard, but how much it's going to be seen or heard and how loud it's going to be and how it's going to work and how it's going to function in terms of presenting the tone, the tenor, the magnitude, the volume of, of all, the, all the ingredients. Uh, the editing bay uh, that you get in film or television or what have you for editing video is another metaphor I'm obviously using because it was in the title of the, the, the original title of the seminar. Um, and the editing bay, right, lets you see not just uh, uh, the, the, the machinery behind the works that you're making, but it allows you to see the art itself. It allows you to see the thing that you're creating as you're creating it. But it takes you both in front of the stage and behind the stage and on the stage all at the same time, because you might be recording the audio into a mic, literally, during part of the editing process, doing ADR. You might be uh, 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 in such a fashion that requires reshoots, right? But so it has this, this notion of production that we think of as ending in the release of a film creating this finished artifact, 
uh, actually has multiple back and forth steps to it. And that in theory, the movie is done when the movie is done. And that's that when you have a movie, and the movie is the point. That is not how it works for, for tabletop play. Uh, but so we understand what dramatic is. We talk a little bit about editing, but what by drama is, is drama is, of course, like the dull bits cut out. That's not me, that's Alfred Hitchcock saying that. So, that's, so you, you can trust it, because he knew what he was talking about. I do not. Uh, so that's so drama. I simply just mean in the sense that it is drama, dramaturgical. It is uh, 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 in the category of things we do to study and create drama and narrative. But editing is a term that I am borrowing from film uh, because it is about the arrangement of uh, information and imagery and data as it goes from player to player and from GM to player and player to GM. Uh, and it is not just about the creation of that data, but about the, the, how it gets ordered. And if you don't have dramatic editing, then the order in which things get said at the table is how they happen. Right? That's like uh, core initiative systems, which we'll get into in a second. Everybody takes a turn, and that is the order in which everything in the universe took place. And everything in the universe happened in six-second rounds, and everybody queued up and waited for their turn to live. Uh, film editing is, of course, about the, the, the specific arrangement of imagery and juxtaposition, and we're going to talk about this for sound and for idea population and for uh, uh, all the ways that we can bend and spindle this metaphor to get as much mileage out of it as possible before we are all just sick and exhausted. Uh, I suspect we'll be out of here by 7.30. Uh, metaplot is a term that I'm going to bring up because I'm going to use the word meta a lot, but I'm going to use it in the term meta text. Um, and I know metaplot puts a bad taste in some people's mouths. That's fine. I like metaplot fine. But I think the reason that is is, is not because of the meta, but because of the plot. Um, it creates a situation where you think that something is overriding what you are doing. It's not that it's meta. It's that there is a plot going on that is not yours. The meta is fine. The meta is valuable. Uh, 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 anytime that you are aware that you're playing a, a game, that you're playing an RPG, you're participating in the meta. Right, that's the meta text is where you're like, okay, I, I know that if MacGyver doesn't solve this problem, the bomb's going to go off and Cincinnati's going to be destroyed. But I also know that's not going to happen because I already saw a commercial for next week's episode. So, on some level, it's all meta all the time. So, uh, uh, submersion beyond the meta is a choice that we make uh, uh, as participants and as creators. But as creators, we can't completely exist immersed. We have to be able to be aware of the the uh, uh, the meta as well because we're soaking it, we're living it, we're making that. Um, and so, what this does to immersion, of course, is the question of uh, uh, whether it ruins it completely. And I argue that immersion is about being suspended not only in disbelief, as you often hear the suspension of disbelief, but in the substance of the imagination, contained not by a magic circle. If you guys know the idea, right, of the magic circle. Um, uh, uh, which is where play happens inside the magic circle, but is instead about being uh, uh, contained within a sphere, like a glass orb, with subtext swirling below in the silt and sand, and the, the metatext bubbling up towards the top. So you have the sense of, uh, uh, of layers to it all, and that there's a 360-degree range that you can see from the outside of it. And immersion is cool, and I like immersion, but I think the problem is, is that um, immersion is a simplistic kind of it's a grandiose term for a really complicated thing to achieve, and I don't know that its achievement is actually in our best interest as players and in a participatory process like storytelling. Immersion will be a fleeting thing. It'll happen now and again. Uh, the example I use, and I swear I'm not trying to insult anybody when I say this, but somebody's going to get insulted, um, is uh, when you see a goldfish in the ball, in the ball, right, and there's the thing where he swims around and he says, oh, hey, look, a castle. And he goes inside and he's like, oh, it's nice in here. It's spacious and everything. And then, oh, look, there's like a door. And, and there's stuff out here. There's a whole bowl out here. Oh, hey, look, a castle. Right? So that there's only so much content. There's only so much stuff you're going to experience. And you could be the, you could be the goldfish. Where you, 
every week a new castle. And you buy into it, and you go, oh, hey, look, a castle. Um, and that's great, and that is good fun, and that's a great feeling. But that is the completely passive audience state feeling, and there's no actual audience in the RPG. The artifact is not the point. We can be an audience sometimes, and we can be immersed sometimes, and it's one mode, but it's not the only mode, because it's, it's like, uh, uh, anytime you're rolling for your character, deciding what your character's going to do, you are on some level have to break immersion, because you have to take in information from a vector that is not, that is going to violate the immersion. The voice of the GM, unless you're playing in a game where, where, where the voice of a distant being literally speaks to you from the heavens, on some level you, you dialed your tolerance for immersion to a point that you say, no, I understand I'm not actually listening to Doug and Annie argue right now about who's, who's, who, brought, who brought the Cheetos. I understand that what I'm actually doing is I'm listening to Laura and the GM telling me that, that this is when this is the moment when my long-lost father is going to come back and, 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 and bring the, the broken sword of our ancestors. Right? You're always dialing out something. The question is, the, the, very often I feel like when people say that you broke my suspension of disbelief, that it was a two-way street. Uh, that you have to there, that, that when somebody says, well, that moment the detective made the deductive leap, leap, it was just too much. It broke my suspension of disbelief. And I'm like, well, then, I mean, like, how much did you trust the person telling the story? Was it, how much did you, did you give into it also? Were you participating? Um, I don't believe that the suspension of disbelief is passive, um, but immersion can feel like it's just washing over you. But if you just sit still in the water, you don't live. So, anyway. Uh, but seriously, immersion. Um, uh, uh, as I say, it can be good for the environment and everything, but it's hard to be in and out of the, the, the goldfish bowl at the same time. You can stand with one foot in the water and one foot not. But I think what it really is, it's about motion. It's about moving uh, back and forth through the texts, from the meta to the text to the subtext, from the fiction, if you will, if you like that term I do, uh, uh, of, of play, from the fiction of the game world to the subtext, which is almost always emergent in, in uh, uh, story game play and RPG play, where you can talk about you can put subtext in there by design, but you will still find subtext you didn't put in by design that comes out later. That when you're driving home in the, from the, the the game store where you were playing the game, you get uh, uh, into the driveway and you go, "Oh, I just realized that all that visual stuff about the the glass orb and the moon and the and the crystal ball kind of rhymes." And there's this whole little subtext in there about how the wizard is sort of like a cleric too. And you go, "Oh yeah," and nobody was doing that on purpose, but there it is. And that's one of the beautiful things about subtext. Uh, Metatext is uh, uh, can be kind of secondary or emergent to individuals, but it's almost always created by something. So you might not you might not put it there, but another player might in a way that says, "Look, I think this story is actually going to be about uh, uh, absentee parents, or it's going to be about uh, uh, landlords and tenants." Um, whether they say it out loud or not, it's usually something they're bringing to the process because it's also about awareness. Um, but what's important to think about that is what's being brought and what's being put into the text and into the metatext, and therefore contributing to the subtext. So like Scorsese says, if all cinema is about what is in the frame and what is not in the frame, and in cinema that's all about making the choice that you make, that I'm going to shoot this room in such a capacity in such a way that you don't know there are windows, or I'm going to shoot this car chase so that you think that, that Cleveland is D.C., right, or whatever. It's about what you put in the frame and what you... I'm going to make it so that, so that nobody knows that, that we're shooting, that we're using uh, 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 Bucharest as... Berlin, World War II. I'm mean, just have to put stuff not in the frame that doesn't. I can't land anything in the frame that doesn't that would tip off the truth. So what's in the frame, right? That's the thing that we make up as a decision at the table all the time. Such as the GM saying, "This is the following things that you can see that are present in the setting." Because if the GM says you're in a billiard room, the player says, "Okay, well, I'm going to go use the pool cue to knock somebody out." Go, oh, there are no pool cues. Okay, um, 
Can I throw a pool ball in? No pool balls either. Is there a pool table? Not in this one. So really you meant room. Okay, it's a just a room. Um, no, the GM says something, and you can put all this other stuff in there, uh, overtly or covertly, in a way that, that you understand that there's a billiard table in the room, or that you assume that if there's a bowling alley, there will be pins. Uh, uh, but the question is, does saying it put it into the frame, or does it put it into the world? And so what I want you to think about is the value of POV, whose camera you're looking through, whose head you're in, uh, and what you can see, which is actually kind of a, a classically tread tabletop concept of, I can only see what my character sees. But there's also that notion that the player has a degree, and the GM has a degree of omniscience that they maybe don't have. Uh, uh, that you can contribute stuff to the frame, to the world, that is not actually going to make it into the shot. You can contribute whether it's something that ends up in a deleted scene, if you will, um, something that is uh, uh, possible, that is on the table for inclusion, that's in the concept art, that's going to be in the art book, but it's not actually in the movie. Right? It never actually appears on screen. But, but everybody who makes the movie saw that piece of art, and, and it affected other about things like uh, uh, how big the space aliens are going to be or that they're definitely not going to be purple or whatever it is. Um, and this relates in parts when you think about uh, the omniscient view and what information is had and when what goes into the frame and what doesn't. I want you to think a little bit about when a character is finished. There was an argument uh, recently that uh, Sherlock Holmes is not in the public domain because the character wasn't finished until the last story was written. And that was not... They threw that out. The idea is that the character character generation had completed at the end of right before play, right before Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote the first story. Uh, but in some level, I, on some level, I thought that was a really interesting argument. I think it's true, especially in story game play, um, where we're constantly colliding and we're constantly building. Uh, uh, so it may not it may not hold up in court, but it holds up in the idea that um, you can decide what decisions your character is going to make at the beginning. And my character is lawful good, or my character is a paladin. He will never do the following thing. And then my job as a GM might very well be to go, oh yeah, what about this ball like that? Well, what about this one? Well, what if I put these two together? What do you, you got to pick one of them. Which one are you going to do? Right? And then you make these decisions, either to uphold your vision, which is great, or to defy your vision of the character, or to, to thread the needle in ways and say, okay, so my character will do, my character, it turns out, will steal to feed orphans. He'll do that. That's, that's okay, so we learned that. I didn't know that at the beginning because I hadn't considered all the possibilities, but that's on the table. Um, so is the, to- is the point of play to stay true to all of the uh, ideas that you had for your character at the beginning, that you have an idea for a character, and then, and then the rest of play is just sticking to it regardless of what happens? If you're playing Batman, maybe. Maybe that's true. Uh, but otherwise, the, the notion is that you're always finding out who your character is, what your character is like, as you play. And you learn new inputs, because you're writing them in the moment. You're saying, somebody says, oh yeah, okay, so you you have to, to stop this asteroid, you have to kill 50 nulls. Okay, um... No, I can do that. I can, oh, no, that's no problem. I'll do it. Yeah, sure. All right. I can kill 15 nulls. Uh, uh, I'm willing to do that. I mean, I don't know if they've done anything bad, but it'll it'll somehow steer the, the, the stellar body of the astronaut pleasing the gods or something. Um, uh, uh, you didn't know in advance that that was going to be how your character would behave in those sorts of situations. So anytime that happens, the GM is participating. So anytime that happens, you have to, we, we are confronted with the fact that every character has multiple authors in an RPG, in a, in a story which is that the GM is contributing a situation and a test, and then you're contributing the answer to that, which is, uh, oh, my character will zig, not zag, in the situation. As an author, if you're writing a book, you contribute both the thing that changes the character and the character, right? So the GM and the, and the, and the player have divided that duty, so the authorial role is divided over them. But there's no reason it can't be divided five more ways. And if we're going to accept that games like Mass Effect 
that have the little wheel. You can kind of make this up. It has the little decision wheel, right? And you pick the three, you pick from three or four different things that your character can say. But that's legit, and that that counts enough as role playing that we're going to go ahead and 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 call it that and play it that way. Uh, there's no reason, in my opinion, that a player at the table can't go to the other players and say, "Listen, my character's got an 18 intelligence. I do not. Uh, I want to say something really smart here, and you know, I want it to be about." Uh, uh, the, the, the line of succession and the right to rule and the fate of dragons and the way that dinosaurs went extinct, but I don't have it yet. Can somebody help me out here? And then you get the other players to say, yeah, you could phrase it like this, or yeah, you could phrase it this other way, or yeah, you could mix it, mix it with intimidation and say it like this and be a real badass. Um, and then you pick from one of them, or you write your own. But the fact that the other players are contributing means that your character now might seem more like a person who actually has 18 intelligence. Or has an 18 dexterity, or has a 20 charisma, or whatever it is, right? But that you're playing in a way that the, you have multiple possible voices contributing options. And it's, that's sharing uh, uh, the writing task, but it's not surrendering authority. It's sharing an authorial state, but not surrendering authority. The thing is, nobody else ever gets to play your character if you're going to do that in that traditional sense. But uh, uh, you get veto power as opposed to the complete responsibility to write everything that will ever come out of your character's mouth. I had a real problem with this in this last game uh, uh, that I was playing in actually a, a space game where I made a character who had essentially the highest possible starting intelligence, and I was not able to pull it off, in part because the dice did not agree with me, and in part because uh, uh, people thought, well, that's not a great idea. And I'm like, well, no, my character doesn't suggest that. I think it's an interesting idea that we, that we could scuttle the ship. And uh, uh, players rapidly started to put my thoughts onto the character, whether I was trying to pass them onto the character or not. Um, and so the, the notion that you have that you can revise these things as they go is very important, but not everything that comes out gets rendered, not everything that gets rendered gets put into frame, I think is really important. So for example, yeah, thing uh, may in itself be the finest piece of writing that one has ever done, and yet have absolutely no place in the manuscript one hopes to publish. Right, is the notion, how many, I mean, so often you have conversations that you naturally, that you naturally know during the game that this part is literally said by the character and that part is not. And some of that is done in tone of voice, and some of that is done in accents, and some of that is done uh, uh, by, by raising a hand or putting a hand down or by saying it before and after drinking a Coke or whatever it is. It's something that signals my character would never say this, right? We, we allow so much of that already, so why, why, why limit the degree to which it could be fruitful? Let's make it into this position where we can say, yes, that is a great idea. My character wants to say that. I want help with the scene. I want to know exactly the right way to know uh, uh, which monster I should go after. All the time, I feel like, where they say... Guys, I think I'm going to go after the Cobalt Chief, but should I go after the Warlock instead? What do you think? People go, oh, no, go after the Warlock. And it's, I think that's completely legit because this character can see things that I cannot. You're, the, this character's present in the game world and is going and is a professional adventurer, and I am not. So this character is going to be able to have ideas and reject ideas that we have as a group that I may not have as a player by myself. Um, and so what I want to encourage is there's a, a phrase called uh, print that, right, which is uh, uh, using film, which is that's good, we're going to use that tape. You can go ahead and print that. I need that for the editing today. I don't know for sure if we'll make it into the picture, into the movie, into the final film, but I want it. I want it for editing. So you say print that. And what it is is it, it, it takes the idea of uh, uh, something that somebody, a player, somebody else suggests to you and says, hey, what if, uh, what if, the, what if the, the prince is actually your brother-in-law? What if that brother-in-law I've been looking for all this time, what if this prince is that guy? What if they're the same character? Somebody else says, hey, I think actually, what if, what if the, the, the queen and the princess are the same person, but they travel through time, and she's come back to be the, the queen? What do you think of that? Right? And, and that's how she, that's she, she adopted herself. Oh, that's weird. Okay. But 
uh, don't print that. I'm not sure that that's what I want to go with. And then somebody else says, uh, no, but I love the time travel. Yeah, we're going to print the time travel. We're not going to write it. All that means is that it goes into the spool that we can edit with later. And it doesn't mean that it's being printed like into the manuscript, right? So it's a film term. But uh, uh, what it gets into is the idea that uh, uh, everything that we're doing is going to be evoking and interacting and behaving in a way despite the format that we're actually in. Film is music, and dancing is architecture, and architecture is uh, film, then every art form is every other art form, and art forms don't exist. So what I'm not arguing for is that we go ahead and steal everything that this is all literal process, but what I did want to do is set this up a little bit is the fact that, that because everything is going to have to steal metaphors from everything else, because there's nothing like writing than writing. There's nothing like dancing but dancing. There's nothing like a space and architecture but architecture. The only way we know to talk about this stuff is through reference. Um, and part of this is important because I have a big metaphor coming here. How many of you know what the Kuleshov effect is? Anybody? So the Kuleshov effect was the, one of the early uh, uh, editing experiments. Um, uh, Kuleshov, Lev Kuleshov, I may be saying his name wrong. Um, he put together images of film of a child and a pie and another face, and people were like, oh, the actor got out of the child. When he sees the pie, and he's so hungry, it was phenomenal. And he's like, yeah, that, that's interesting. That child and the pie were shot years apart. They never were in the same room together. They have nothing to do with each other. I just put them in order to get an effect out of the audience. And so film editing, and arguably the medium of cinema, was born. Because if you just point a camera at a stage and shoot a play of King Lear, that's a play, right? You're not present for it, but you're just watching the play. That's great. But that's not cinema. Film editing is arguably what makes uh, uh, the motion pictures, moving pictures, into cinema. Is the decision what order they will go in and how it will communicate action from left to right, or who is standing above whom, or who is facing whom, or who turns their back when, and the speed of cuts, and the way that the uh, action will or will not sync to sound or to music. Um, so we can do all this too, but first we need footage. We need to be open-minded to the fact that, that that footage can come from almost anywhere. And including get tossing out ideas that, that may not be what goes into print, that may not be what gets printed, may not be what gets edited, may not be what gets put into the final production. Although I can't stress enough that this metaphor will fall apart at the very end when we get to the notion of production because the, the, the disc is not the point. The final home video release does not matter. Um, so once we have footage, or once we want footage, these are conjunctions and coordinators. We can use these to justify to explain and to arrange the material we're going to have. So somebody says, okay, so if the king is my brother, then, or, okay, no, he's my brother, but, right, you can use it to introduce ideas, and you can use it to edit ideas, to say any one of these. You say, because, which is the most powerful word in storytelling, by the way, all plots should we operate on the word because instead of the words and then. Um, uh, 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 because the king is my brother, uh, uh, I'm going to betray him. Because he's my brother, I have to betray him. He has to be betrayed. He has to learn his lesson. But, because I do that, right, This is these are the connections, the things that can, you, you can take these things and put them back together. And, and you see this all the time in the planning sessions for RPGs. People are like, okay, then we'll do this, and then we'll do that, and then we'll do that. And the GM is constantly wanting to say, okay, but because you're doing this, that's going to cause this other thing to happen. And you get wrapped up into those lousy planning sessions where it takes all, the whole game while everybody discusses possibilities. Right? And that's in part because then that is that's a process where all the footage is going up but it's not being edited. And you're not and you're doing it, you're trying to do it all at once. You're trying to pre-shoot everything and then just play it the way that you shot it. 
What you need there is you need editing going on to say, okay, so first, this part actually happens. Then we stop. What is the next plan for the next step? What were you guys planning to do for the second floor of the building to get there or to deactivate the engines or the shield generator or whatever it is? Uh, and that's important because otherwise you can just spend all day, and this happens. There are movies famously that used to go through these these issues where you just blow your whole budget to shooting footage, and now you have nothing. To, but you still don't have a movie, and you can't. You it never gets edited, and it can't get released, and ends up being a disaster because all you've done is spitball for your whole gaming session for three hours. Of I think we could do this. Oh, but if we do that, then we could do this. Okay, but somebody needs to start saying yes, print that, commit that, and then we can still move it around. Um, and one of the ways that you can do that there's, uh, for hierarchy is the idea of the writer's room. Fiasco is great at this. Microscope is good at this. A lot of games can still be good at this, which is where you, you, which is where you might have a showrunner. You have somebody who's in charge, but all the writer's jobs is to toss out ideas and say, this week I think maybe this can happen. Right? And you have that dynamic. I do this in Fiasco all the time. That's what I love about Fiasco. is where somebody says, for the next scene, what if we hadn't seen uh, uh, Doug and Annie have characters together yet? What if Doug and Annie have a scene together? Right? What if they get together and they talk and, and that's how they find out about, about the affair? But you go, okay, yeah, that's cool. But if they do that, right, then that's probably going to be the end of, of, of Doug because Annie's going to kill him. That'll be the end of that. I mean, that's what you would do, right, says Annie's player. You go, okay, maybe. So then let's try the scene if it's like this. What if, and right, you're trying out these options and, and they get tossed around the room, they get tossed around until people say, okay, yes, so this is, these are the ones that make sense. You picture them, and in TV production, they write it all in index cards and they move them around and then they throw them out. And they store some of them, and they keep some of them up all summer long, and because they go, okay, we still haven't done that story we wanted to do about the, the, the scorpion and the spider bite, um, but it comes up. Uh, and the, one of the other uh, metaphors is uh, dailies in footage, right? Where uh, you know everybody knows dailies is in film as the footage that's shot that day, and then somebody goes through and says, oh, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Let's what we let's what we accomplished today, right? Each session essentially is a day of shooting it in a way, and you say, okay, so what footage did we get? Uh, uh, what do we have to work with and how are we going to edit it together? And I'm going to talk a little bit in a second about how this works also for combat and why initiative is a non-dramatic system. Um, but the thing that's important, uh, again, to think about when you're getting into all this notion of dailies and footage is that gameplay is not about creating an artifact. It's not about the film, right? You guys are your own audience, so it's to the point where it's like, hey, if I'm having a good time shooting it, that's the point. I'm having a good time editing it, that's the point. I'm having a good time playing it, that's the point. It's like um, when you play music, uh, or you sing a song, a song that you know very, very well, the point isn't to make the guy in the next car next to you hear you singing it, right? The point is you're singing it for you, right? Gameplay is similar. We're playing it for us. It's not for the bonus content at the end. The disc is all bonus content. Everything that would go on the disc is bonus stuff, right? If you can generate, if you generate an artifact in tabletop play, that's great, right? And if you generate a, uh, an artifact in PDM and story, if you generate an artifact in video games where you can put something on Twitch and let people see it, that's terrific, right? That's great stuff. But in tabletop play, where the artifact is almost never as fun as the actual moment of play, it's always just going to be a bonus. It's going to be a luxury that pops up at the end of the thing. We go, oh, hey, that one was cool. Yeah, well, I think that would make an episode of tabletop. I think we could do that. Um, most of the time, editing is the art. That is the performance, is the point where you're saying you're giving out an idea and you're deciding what order the images are going to go in. Um, and so that means that it's all about these permissions and these procedures for collaboration, about saying who can talk when, who can say what to whom, and when do we get to say, I have an idea, and I, th and, and I think we should go with this idea. And how do you design for that? Because so much of that is just going to be the text, giving out advice or giving out experiences and procedures, and that's valuable, and that's important, but it's not necessarily game design in the same way as it's uh, 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 social engineering, or that it's... Uh, 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 a whole variety of processes that some would argue with me are not typically designed. And one reason I bring this up is because 
my original pitch for this panel was this, and I was told, well, it might be a little GME. We, we want to bring it back to design. And to me, it's totally the same thing. They completely overlap here. Because part of what you do is you want to just make the language of play something already familiar, like the language of drama. And we do that already, where there are games that use scenes. Character is a language of drama, right? We have, we have characters, and we have uh, 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 character arcs, and we have uh, uh, boss fights, which is a language of drama taken from video games. But all these things that we have um, are terms we want to use so that it's easy to access these ideas. And for some of us, film is the way to do that. For some of us, theater is the way to do that. Sometimes it's uh, uh, about chapters rather than scenes, or it's about uh, episodes rather than movies, or whatever it is, right? But finding these metaphors that you guys can, can, can clearly communicate to, to each other, how you want this to work, is important. Another important, uh, important part of design for this is to name each moving part so that it's easier to point at the scene here. And this is why, if you've ever seen like uh, uh, all the different ways that there are the different kinds of cuts, jump cuts, uh, uh, motion cuts, uh, wipes, uh, dissolves, right? All these different terms that there are for all these things. Some of that is, can be a little excessive, but some of it is important because it says specifically, if I say jump cut two, you immediately know, I don't have to go, okay, it's like a cut, but it, it happens right when the gun goes off and then instead now we're out in the park in a field of wildflowers, you can say jump cut to wildflowers. That happens in Fiasco play all the time, I feel like. People do that with something. Or they, you know, smash cut to zoom in, zoom out, and they show the frame, they show the frame moving to indicate that we're going to talk from, we're going to move from one character to another character for a little bit. Um, giving names to these kind of moving parts, the areas that, where the scenes are that you can cut the film and move things around. Scene is an obvious one, but you can do this in turns, you can do this in rounds, initiative counts. Having specific terms for these makes it easier to move them around. Because somebody can say, Instead of, give me the, the metal, the roundy thing that goes on the, the twisty, the, the, no, the other one, the other one. And you can say, give me the three-eighths inch lug nut that's dangling off the Phillips or whatever, I don't know. But you have these specific terms, the more terms like that that you have, the more that they agree, you can uh, 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 more easily communicate how you're going to move all these parts to keep the cognitive load on yourself actually lower because you know how many parts you're moving around. Uh, one of the big things to think about is a fine or coarse interactivity. Hero points are fine, granular options, for example, that, that iconically give, like, uh, give you something like a plus two bonus, right? The player usually spends these, not the character. Uh, uh, that's the kind of thing, right, where you say, okay, well, I rolled an 18, but I needed a 20. I would really like to succeed at this. I'm going to spend a hero point. Uh, let's do it. I'm going to change the fiction. I'm going to submit that I actually did better than the dice that I did. Wasn't that as soon as the die roll happened, it was done. We didn't print that. Right? I have time to make this change. And that's a, a change to the text of the, of the scene made for a metatextual reason. I, the player, want this thing to happen. And I have a certain degree of authorial power. My character wants this to happen, too. We might even be in agreement, but my, my character never spends the hero point. It's not like you know he uses the force and moves the thing, uh, a micron to the left, or whatever it is. Then it's metatextual, and it's the player's ability, so it's still dramatic editing. Scene-driven mechanisms are coarse, powerful options that do the same kind of thing. Fiasco is great at this. Where I love Fiasco minimizes the way that it happens so well, where it says if your character dies, just start, just do scenes in flashback. There are no rules for what a flashback scene does, but the causality of it is fascinating, right? And we know this just because we know drama, because we've seen a movie. So what it is is that we say, uh, okay, well this next scene is about Doug, and it happens before the scene we just did. Uh, so Doug's alive again because it's the scene before, and we're going to find out in the scene, I guess, or whether you prescribe it or not. But let's say we find out during play that Doug knew the secret that he was killed for this whole time. He always knew. People thought they killed, they killed him to protect him from the secret or whatever kind of sordid nonsense goes on in a fiasco game, but Doug all, already knew, right? That's a retcon. But it's not a retcon in the sense that, because we're still building the story, 
Right? Retcons are retroactive. This is active. This is an active continuity change. This is happening while we're playing, because the play is the thing. Uh, uh, and so that's important to understand and convey if editing is metatextual or part of the text itself. This is the muddiness I was talking about in dramatic editing and adventure, where in order for the player to have access to an ability, the character in the fiction has to be able to take an action, first of all, that is boring, to recover, which is not necessarily great design in terms of, of what that game says it's about, but is also that the character is supplying the player with a benefit to do a metatextual action. That's not necessarily off limits. You could do that, but the game isn't actually built to do that. I don't know what that channel is, right? Like, Prime Adventures can almost do that, or a game that was about uh, uh, Bugs Bunny versus the animator. That could be phenomenal. Something that does something like that. But where you're blending the stuff, especially accidentally, that can be incredibly confusing and punishing to a player, where, for example, I, the player, want to exercise my dramatic editing right as, a, as an authorial participant in the story, and I can't because my character rolled a three. Right? My character, or uh, which is still, that's still, and that's where you want to put the dice in the metatextual level, right? But if the notion is that my character only has a plus two to his skill because uh, uh, I couldn't get the character to train with the Jedi Master, and I couldn't turn to Jedi Master because the GM wouldn't let me, then essentially what just happens is the GM wouldn't let me exercise my authorial control. But if the thing is that I make a decision for the character, and that decision bites me in the ass later, that's all one level. The more these things are on the same level, the cleaner it is. And the more things move down, the cleaner it is. So that it goes from the metatextual to the text, or from the text to the subtext. Clean is not always what you want. You can have very, very messy processes for this. Uh, I intentionally messed with this idea in a place at the fiasco called All the Damn Time, where... Everybody at the table, sitting around the table, plays the same character at different points in his life um, as they meet and interact through time. So they all play Sam, Sam Howard, the time traveler, and they all have relationships with each other. But they're all, they're, they can affect each other on the table because if I kill the Sam younger than me, that's not going to work. That's, that's not going to happen. But I, as a player, make decisions about what order scenes should be set and what actions I take that my character can make too. And then my character can make decisions that I don't want because you're playing my character later. Can make decisions that I don't want to set a scene earlier by literally traveling through time to do that. So it's possible, but it, I think it's only possible in Fiasco in this case because Fiasco is so sleek and so low uh, uh, in its fiddliness that all you had to do was use the metatextual elements to mess around with the, with the text. And then give the character the ability to screw up the text. Uh, in a really fantastic way. So one of the other ways to phrase that question is who is even in the Matrix here, right? Neo does metatextual stuff to the Matrix. That's part of the thing. That's what makes it transcendent, is that he can decide that the Matrix will operate differently. Gravity will function differently here. Uh, oxygen will function differently here, right? He has these metatextual powers. So it's completely doable when you when you bring the metatext down to the text or bring the text up to the metatext, but you want to know you're doing it, and you want to be doing it for a reason that that... that uh, uh, specifically fits the game. And here's an example of the, uh, what makes initiative often non-dramatic. Um, so initiative systems, there's some great ones, and they're great sometimes what they do, but if the argument is, for example, that uh, uh, initiative emerged from anything other than a desire to settle arguments, to preempt arguments, I am suspicious of that. I think it's a great mechanic, but it is not a dramatic one. And the thing is that it often gets confused for a dramatic one when people are house ruling. Um, which is to say that, that it is not dramatic in the sense that its purpose and what it is, what it is accomplishing and how it is accomplishing it is not narrative. And that's fine. But its purpose is to say, let's not have this argument about who gets to go first and what order we go in every damn time. 
right? Or the decision is let's not roll initiative every round. Or the argument is whatever. Uh, uh, but the question is, are are when you have six second rounds, um, what am I doing for the six seconds after I know I'm going to kill this orc before the orc dies, right? Like, what is he doing? Is he standing there going, I think this one's going to get me. I think this is it. Uh, uh, or is it a question of everybody acting simultaneously? If everybody's acting simultaneously, why don't I get my turn even if I'm killed on your turn? Shouldn't I get to go also? But if I die on initiative count 10, I don't get to go on my initiative count 7 because I died on your turn? Then it's not simultaneous, right? Okay, that's fine. Right? But if it were, or if the question was, okay, so after, after this round, we're going to take all the initiative things that just happened. We know that Doug was killed. We know that Annie slew 21 orcs. We knew that an orc killed Douglas, and that there's one orc left, and he's going to run for help. Those are the things we learned in this round. Now let's put them in the order that makes this dramatically make sense. And because Doug has to take an action, he has to die late, but he can't stop the orc. We sort it all. Nobody wants to do that either. That's the, that's the completely dramatic aspect of it. That would be the completely dramatic end. So we're constantly making decisions in these polls of dramatic and non-dramatic processes, uh, especially with things like initiative. Um, uh, uh, and so realism is, is a real problem with this because for dramatic editing, which is like still only one component in, in the process that we're doing, but dramatic editing is um, uh, only one component in this. It's not going to be everything. But if you have it in the quiver, then you can combine it with realism by making things feel realistic by, by drawing out the stuff that actually takes a long time and using a long description to, to create something that feels like a, a long hallway or what have you. Uh, or you get semi-realistic uh, 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 functions like initiative that will solve the problem and aren't completely random or whatever initiative system you like, uh, but you, you can decide where on the scale you want to be instead of just inheriting the processes that you might have had from before that we may have inherited from the designers ahead of us. Uh, the good news is that each game read and each session played is a chance to share the stage and teach techniques that enrich play, which is to say that there's, there are a lot of ways to dramatically edit. There are a lot of techniques for it. And once you open the door to it and you say, look, can I, can I offer a suggestion? And somebody says, yes. A million new possibilities emerge. Somebody can say, I mean, part of that can be negotiation. It can be, a, it can be uh, uh, fiddly. Uh, and some of it is negotiation that can reap benefits in your play and in the understanding of how you want the, the, the narrative to be portrayed in that way that we're separating the action from the portrayal. Right? It's not necessarily just about did that or did that not happen. It's about how do we show it. And that's part of what is going to make. That's part of what makes this a medium for for stories and for for storytelling is the fact that it's not just a recitation of events of the of the things that occurred on each round of the combat. It's about saying why did this happen and how did it look and why was why did we do these three turns in slow mo or why is all of combat in slow mo depending on how long your combat system takes. Um, and then the last thing about this to think about is uh, uh, as Mark Twain says, the time to begin an article is when you have finished it to your satisfaction. Which is to say that when you believe you have completely figured out your game, when you believe you have completely figured out your turn in the game, when you believe that you know exactly what it is you want to say, that is a great time to turn to the players and go, uh, guys, I think I'm going to charge the dragon. Maybe we have a better idea. And to be open to the answers that may still come. And I bring this up also because uh, I, now that I think I know what I'm talking about with dramatic editing and that I think that, I can, uh, that I'm comfortable standing up and being a, a, a spokesperson for it, and calling for more dramatic editing in, in play and design to make sure that we all know that seriously, I don't know what I'm talking about, and I would like to be set straight. So somebody help me. Anyway, I'll take questions. Um, so when you're talking about combat, yeah, a lot of them classic dramatic editing that goes off. Like the example where it's like, uh, should I do this or do that, that sort of thing. And it strikes me that 
uh, a lot of time it sort of falls into the space where nobody has defined what exactly you can talk to the other players about. Right. And so it becomes sort of wasted in wasted space. And if you're going for a tactical, realistic game, I don't know if this where there is divided information from the player and stuff, then that's sort of the opposite end from this, but that's still a choice you can make. Yes. But no, almost nobody makes that choice, um, probably for the fact that you draw it because there's this understanding that you sort of have this bizarre player of this fault working against working in tactical combat, you know. Right, right. And I think I think a lot of people have trouble uh, just because of the, where a lot of the game gaming comes from. People have trouble going, okay, we're finally doing this in combat. Why can't that happen when I'm trying to talk to the Duke? Why can't, you know, why does the first thing I say suddenly become, well, you've been told with everybody, now we're back in tactical combat. Right. Rather than somebody going, maybe you should have been sold with Dardo. Right. And I, I think one of the problems with getting dramatic editing outside of that sort of box is that there's still a lot of tradition where, like, it doesn't think about it. And but the decision is made implicitly, right? We yeah. just we just inherit this idea that, like, when you see somebody say, okay, the combat's over, so now we're going to role-play for a bit. We were role-playing this whole time, right? And so we have that notion of, no, role-play. Well, I can never make characters, then, who will one speak a language I don't speak, or I can never make a character who is more eloquent than I am, and most characters should be more eloquent than I am. <laughs> Right? But I'm constantly wanting to play a bard or something, and I can't pull it off because it's like, well, my bard would, know, would have a great trip here. Right? Can I use a lifeline? I want to get Ken Hyde on the phone. Um, but exactly, there's that weird terminology aspect to it, which is completely, I say weird, but it's completely understandable, and a lot of it is just inherited. Um, and this is why I think that being able to discuss it in this way, and just possibly just putting a term on it, and to a certain extent, so that we have this option to say, uh, uh, no, that's fair game, right? We're going to treat, teach, treat this like a the combat. There's actually a great, well, a lot of this is going to the original West End Star Wars RPG for me, where Greg Stickian wrote a bit that pointed out that all the characters that you're going to play in the Star Wars universe live in the Star Wars universe. They know how this stuff works. They know how a droid works better than we do, right? We don't know what a six-sequence Mark II droid flange X1 is, but my, but my Luke does, so... I guess I can't play the part where Luke talks tech because I don't know how to talk right, right? And I'm persuading the GM instead of pers- instead of stating my character is not eloquent. Somebody help me out here, right? And sometimes it's completely understandable or completely acceptable to say I can be headed more, and not acceptable to say I am eloquent in audience with with the royals. And that's not satisfying. The fact is that if it's it can contribute to player excellence if you open the floor and let people say, oh, here's a great thing the character could say. And it contributes to player participation if the bar is not set that the player has to be equally, for whatever value of charismatic or wise or or tall or skilled with a lance or whatever it is, as their character, right? So it, it opens the door for a degree of play that's going to, over time, make everybody, I think, a more skilled participant, which I think is a big deal. But I think, I think you're absolutely right about the, those where those boundaries are and how we make those choices and, and the fact that those choices are often implicitly maybe breeze right past the decision point, which is, is it okay for me to talk this way in common? Or, or to assume that it's not okay. That it's more realistic because it's all fog of war stuff. Well, I think I think that there needs to be like, having a discussion about that beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and making it a deliberate choice, whatever way you choose. Like, right. if, if you want to emphasize, you know, you don't know what's going on with your fellow players, or even going the old, you know, okay, come up inside of the room, whatever right. technique. That's cool, but then then do that and don't just leave them this this sort of 
default space. Right, right. Assumptions. Yeah. Do you have any other questions or comments or anything that you want to weigh in? That's fantastic. Then we're done. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining in your time. Thank you very much.